Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Alfa Romeo Driver podcast, brought to you by the Alfa Romeo Owners Club. I'm Guy Swarbrick and this afternoon I'm joined by Ian Brookfield, who is the proprietor of the Sud Shop and one of our two Alfa Sud registrars. Good afternoon, Ian. Good afternoon, Guy. Nice to speak to you. So, Ian, how did you end up owning your, your first Alfa and what was it? Um, I suppose the reason I had my first Alfa was I started my apprenticeship at Thompson & Taylor's in Cobham in 1980. And obviously they were a big Alfa Romeo dealer. And I went in there and I worked on many of the different Alphas, but the Suds were my favourite. And I kind of got the money together for one. And I bought the foreman's wife's Sud TI, 1200 TI, uh, GYT 130M. So remember the registration number. But uh, I spent two weeks fixing it up. And then I had a big accident in it in service and I wrote it off. So didn't last very long that one but uh, that that would be my first one and how many we'll ask a, a broader question in a minute but how many alpha suds have you had in the i've had 50 57 alpha suds which i think probably seven sprints and 50 saloons something like that and any favorites out of the the 57 yeah i mean i suppose the absolute favorite is my race car which I won the also Italian Championship with in 1997, which I still have, which I never part with. I suppose I've had so many over the years because there was they were a disposable item for many years in the in the in the Alpha dealership world. But uh, yeah, I've had a few favourites, but that would be my my absolute favourite. So that that's your favourite in terms of individual cars. If if you think about all the different models and variations of of the Alpha Sud, which is the the one that stands out for you? Well, I think in an ideal world, I'd have a Mark II Ti because they only made them for a couple of years or so. But I just thought they kind of got the looks and everything right with that. The interior was very nice. Um, and I've got a, as well as a race car, I still own a green cloverleaf, which were obviously the later ones. They're very nice, but there's a little bit of the purity lost in those, I think, when you look at the Mark Ones and the Mark Twos. But um, I love them all, really. Any any non-Alpha Suds in your ownership history? I've had 76 Alpha Romeos in total. And I can tell <laughs> I've had a couple of Julietta, 116 Juliettas. I've had three Alphettas, uh, a couple of 75s, one of which I bought off Michael Lindsay on an old 2.5 V6. Crikey. A couple of 33s, a couple of 156s. I, my daily driver is a 155. Obviously, I had a 155 race car, 164 race car, and a couple of other 164 road cars. So, yes, it didn't take much to get to 76. But... I, th- I think it takes a bit to get to 76, but <laughs> 155 is a daily driver. That must be a, a, a project and daily driver. Well, it is a bit. It does. There's always something he's doing on it. But um, where where I work, there's a there's a nice two-mile hill climb. So I, I am Gabriel Sarquini for three or four minutes every morning. <laughs> the two-litre twin spot? Yeah, two-litre twin spot. Uh, one of my fav- favourite ever cars. I had one of the few Myrtle Green ones. All right, yeah. I always wanted one. And it, it, it's a guy who's got a Sud, one of my customers. And I was talking about it. And he said, oh, I've got one in my garage. So I've been in there for eight years. So I kind of rescued it from his garage. And I put my wheels off my race car that got uh, totaled at Brands Hatch. And... That's been it, really. It's been very reliable. It's been good. 
So I think I, I first met you in the late 1990s, I guess. Yeah, it would have been late 90s. You you were helping keeping my my spring green clover leaf on the road, which was lovely when I got it, and not so lovely by the time I got rid of it. Well, I suppose just as came about because Graham Heels and myself were running the register. We'd run it since about sort of 1993, and there was an awful lot of sizz that needed work on the register. There were some nice ones. But the majority, there's still people using them as everyday transport then, I suppose. Uh, and there were some quite doggy ones, if you like, that needed some help. And there was really nobody and nothing for them. So we decided that would be a, a good, th- really, for the register side of things, we decided it would be a good idea and a little bit extra for me to do. And um, that's where that started from, really. And that went for, what, three or four years? Three years we, we did that, really. So, um, yeah, we did the three hard years and then... Took it as far as we could get. I think you'd had everything out of my bank account by that point. So it was. <laughs> yeah, I think you were a pretty good customer. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are, a little over 20 years later, and you started another Alphastood parts business. How different is it this time around? It's very different this time around. We used to moan that we couldn't get original parts 20 years ago. And I'm now moaning I can't get any parts 20 years on. We were always taught in the dealerships that you never fit auto factor parts to, a, to an alpha of any description. And we always poo-pooed them. They were always changed if the car had them on there for a genuine original. But we'd probably give our right to, our right arm to have some aftermarket brake discs, for instance, things like that, that many manufacturers made that are just not available anymore. And I noticed from the parts list that it is, it seems to be almost exclusively service parts in the broadest sense there's no body panels yeah. trim parts no, anything like I mean, that. we we made the decision because when we started justice we we did go into the body panel side of things because that's what that's what was needed at the time i think currently in the sud world with the with ebay and such like there's an awful lot of panels out there you don't seem to doesn't seem to be a shortage of front wings or anything like that which the, you kind of think there was at one stage so we decided to leave the panels alone because there are there's a couple of other people doing suds that have plenty of panels so i decided to concentrate more on the mechanical side of things remanufacturing that always sounds easy but in truth it's not you know we've we've sent rubber stuff away to be priced up and it comes back and it's very expensive and you just think would i be able to sell 300 pedal rubbers with three pound profit in them or whatever and it's yeah it's, it's hard you have to come up with the money up front to get these things done and, it, and it's not always straightforward. It's quite an interesting time in the classic car world. I, there seem to be a lot of people who are starting to play with things like 3D printing, which which kind of gets around that problem of having to tool up to do a long run because you can do a, a one-off. Is that something you've thought it, about? It is something. I mean, I have spoken to a guy about 3D printing and he is going to do some stuff for me. I mean, it, it depends what you're asking to do, I suppose. But we've always been a bit concerned that it's not automotive quality if you know what i mean because i don't think all the 3d stuff is as good as possibly it says so you you tend to have to trust the guy that's in charge of the machine so to speak so we've been a little bit cautious on that but you now we've got a local manufacturing company that are currently making us front engine mountings are very well i suppose in view of having one made they're quite complicated to make because it's two metal plates with rubber in the middle but it's all got to stay together and support an engine so, you know, we're trying to pick some stuff like that to have made by proper manufacturing companies rather than, I mean, the 3D stuff's probably good for things like gear lever bushes, but I've got yeah. two people 
I've tried asking to make those and neither's come up with them yet. I'm sure there might be people that watch this that probably think, oh God, I could get them done, but it's whether or not it actually happens. And I know a lot of the the things that I've seen that people have made a lot of fuss about are, are things that are relatively low stress parts. So things like um, window winders and things that become very difficult to get. And if you can find one complete one, then you can scan it and make 3D copies of it. But I don't know how. I mean, I've sent a, a box full of stuff off to a guy who's going to do some 3D stuff for me, including gear lever gators, top ones and bottom ones, which are quite big rubber items. I'm hoping he's going to come up with the goods, but uh, I don't suppose COVID's helping very much. But no. everyone seems to be very slow coming back to me and quotes seem quite high from where I think they should be, which might just be me being mean, but I suppose there's, there's always a bit of that. I assume supplies of original Golden Lodge spark plugs have pretty much dried up. <laughs> yeah, they have. They've, they've been dried up for a while. And cracky, we used to buy them in hundreds when we had just suds. So you, you don't, they're not for sale now. They've, they've obviously gone speaker have gone out of existence i mean i did see a set for sale on ebay the other day 120 quid bargain <laughs> just, just, no one's gonna buy them are they no <laughs> i hope not anyway so so what are the plans for the future with the with the sud shop well, business I the sud shop really the plans for the future are to have some stuff remanufactured to to try not to get ahead of ourselves and have too much done to begin with because you know you can you can still fall up. I've, I've had handbrake cables made and handbrake cables are not available. So I had, you know, I had five made. I've sold one in six months. <laughs> so you do, I'm not suggesting for a moment they're ungrateful. But <laughs> So how's business been during COVID? I, I think one of the things that we hear a lot is that the classic car scene has been booming because people have had nothing else to do and have spent lots of time locked away in the garage with their cars. Yeah, I, I, I could definitely go along with that, confirm that, because we, we had a couple of very busy months, May, June time, and people are at home with their suits. And I suppose that is, it's, it's that you've got time on your hands, it's the time to do it, isn't it? So ironically for you, as, as we started to come out of lockdown, it probably went the wrong way. Uh, it's, we did have a quietish month. But I mean, to be fair, we it's not our, it's not it's not my everyday job. It's, it's a part-time business, and I do it for love more than anything else, really. I don't actively go advertising or seeking people out. We're, we're there. The website's there. We advertise in also Italian magazine occasionally. We, we plan to advertise in the Owners' Club for next year. That's probably as much as we'll do on that score. We, we hope Facebook's a good advertising platform for us. We've got a Sud Shop page on that, and we do well from abroad on that, Australia, Israel. So we'll come back to the register later on, but do, do you have a sense of how big your your potential customer base is? Well, I think the DVLA readout reads something like, I think, 80, 83 registered and another 180 odd sold. So there's probably three. But I've always felt there's, there's been more out there than, than people let on. People have them in their garages. They're probably not registered with the DVLA. You know, it's I've got a race car that's so... It's, it's it's getting people to register them on the new register is that we've got about 70 on there which proves that really if there's 300 on dvla's books that we're not getting enough on the real register not everybody wants to join it you talked about the fact that sud shops are part-time enterprise so what's the day job well my day job is i mean although i'm i'm officially self-employed i do four and a half days for peter smart classic alphas uh there's only peter and i i'm, I'm basically his mechanic technician we do lots of 105 julia's alfettas which is ironic being i'm a sud man but 
anyway, I'll take the nick a bit and I'll crack <laughs> on. <laughs> but we know race engines, restorations, we've got some fantastic stuff in at the moment, to be fair. We're always busy. We've been all right through lockdown because there's only Peter and I in the workshop. Yep. So that's been been handy. We're in the middle of nowhere. So it's been healthy and handy. So you must have seen a, a, a few rare and unusual cars come come through the business. Anything that particularly stands out? Well, we get a lot of Patoni GTs, rim race cars or fast road cars. And we've done a couple of nice Patonis recently where we've put roll cages and fresh carpet into them, built fast road engine for them, suspension, you know, made them into a sort of, I suppose, a track day car. But uh, we see a lot of Patonis and a lot of spiders. I mean, through my, my time in the trade, I suppose Bell and Colville, probably the place for nice cars and exotica. When I was there doing the spiders, the right-hand conversions, um, we had a Maserati service point as well. So I got to know Maserati by turbos quite well. They were quite nice. And obviously there was notices, which we don't always love, but <laughs> good to drive, not so good to fix. And any, um, any famous customers over the years? Um, well, certainly at Ben and Colville, we had Jennifer Saunders with a spider and Aid Edmondson, uh, Nicholas Witchell, the newsman. Uh, I think Duncan Goodhue, the swimmer. Okay. I think he had a spider. For the for the wind in the hair. Experience. Well, possibly for him, yeah. <laughs> no, yes, my favourite. I shouldn't forget that, really. My my daughter was mad on Wallace and Gromit, and Peter Salis and his wife had a spider. Fantastic. And they used, they used to leave it so the battery went flat, so I would be personally sent out to Richmond to jumpstart it for them. And Peter Salis and his wife are very nice people, very nice people. But I used to say to my daughter, I've seen Wallace today, and she'd go, she's lying. <laughs> yeah. I, I assume he hadn't made any um, any Wallace-style modifications to the spider. I guess not no. if if you couldn't <laughs> even get the battery. To... <laughs> Didn't have the wrong trousers on or anything. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> So we, we touched on it earlier on. You recently took over the Alphaswood Register again, along with um, with Gary Walker. How's Gary that going Walker, so yeah. far? Yeah, I think it's going all right. We've, I suppose you ask Gary and I ourselves, we probably say we've had a hard year with COVID because we've we've not been able to get out and express ourselves or do anything with the register, meet up with people. I mean, there was the Southern Alpha Day, which I, I didn't get to, but Gary went to. Um, that's been the only outing, really. So we are looking forward to things being better next year. And obviously we've got big plans for 2022, which will be the 50th anniversary. So we are working on that sort of thing. Any any plans you can share at this stage or is it all at a, a fairly early stage? It's all at a fairly early stage, really. But um, I I have had the, the idea of possibly going to Northern Europe to try and get ourselves a bit of a Sud festival and join in with our Dutch, German, French friends that... Uh, have alpha suds as well to see if we can get everyone together at a circuit somewhere, maybe Croix-en-Tenoir in France, but it's all slightly pie in the sky at the moment, really. We've not, uh, nothing's been decided or even talked about really, apart from Gary and I. That's that's one of the things we've got an eye on. There'll be plenty in this country as well, and we will do our best to make it north, south, east and west. Just on, on to next year, assuming that things get a little bit more normal, which um, I don't think we can assume at this point, but, but well, no, no. supposing they do, um, what kind of things do you have in mind for the register for next year? Well, I think Gary and I would just like to get out and you know, meet everybody. Um, and maybe if we have meetings where there's people turn up who aren't in the register, we can persuade them to, to join it. 
Um, you can, I suppose, do what we used to do. You know, there was always concourse for other cars. We'd always do the suit you most like to take home. It'll still sort of return to some traditional things like that. But uh, it would just be nice to be in a field with some suds, really. <laughs> and everyone's still about chatting. Yeah, we kind of, our hands are tied a little bit. It's a bit frustrating. We've got the Alfred Register page up on Facebook, and that's nice and active. Plenty of people on there answering questions, uh, technical queries, things like that. So, yeah, and of course, Gary's got most of the suds on the register, it would appear. He's got five or six of them. So, it's all good. And it, it seems, I mean, maybe it's just, I've, I've noticed them more recently, but that after quite a few years of, of going to lots of alpha events and there being one, maybe two suds, maybe a sprint, there seem to be a lot more active owners. And, and certainly if you look at the, the Facebook groups and stuff, there's a lot more buzz around suds and people wanting another sud again. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I could put my finger on why that's, why that's come around. I suppose they've probably been in the doldrums for a while. So there have always been a bit of a the forgotten alpha to a degree, and I suppose a bit of interest was shown. Not not saying starting the Sud Shop course that was eighteen months ago. We had a very good meeting at Bista that that year, and there was twenty odd Suds there, and it seemed to kick on from there. People seemed to realise that that was going on. I think all the Facebook pages really helps. Um, you see all the guys out in Holland, plenty of Suds out there, and they're always very enthusiastic. And I think it's just caught on. Well, I guess the the other thing, I mean, talking about the, the 50th anniversary coming up, um, I, I guess there's probably now a lot of people who, who had a Sud when they were younger and have now got to the point where their kids have left home and they've got some free time, some disposable income, and, and they're starting to think about having another one. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And, well, I suppose six months ago, they were reasonably cheap as well So because the prices have really jumped on them the last six months, and which is... A good thing, as long as it doesn't go too high and all the wrong people end up owning them. But some, no, I, I agree. There must be people who had them when they were younger and realise that there's a few out there and perhaps decide to, to find themselves one. I mean, when they go up for sale, they don't seem to stay up for sale for very long. They do seem to get snapped up. There still seems to be um, a huge variation in prices. and I, I mean, I, I know there's a there's a huge variation in in condition as well. Yeah. Well, if you've asked me six, seven months ago how much to buy a, good, a top quality sprint, I'd have probably said 10 grand. Well, they're up for sale for 17 currently. And you just think, oh my God. I mean, no one's selling green clove leaves. There's, there was one up for sale, I think, for 15 to 20 grand recently. And I don't think anyone bought it because I don't think it was, was as good as they said it was. Right. But you get that. I suppose you get that in, in every mark of car that's for sale. You get the people that are going to decide to sell it because the prices are at a high. And it's whether the person's Eastern. There are so few around. I mean, you, you said 300 suds. I, I can't imagine many of those are sprints now. Well, they made sprints for longer. True. <laughs> they were supposed to be better made and better protected. But, yeah, I can't. I think it's tricky one, isn't it? Because they went on till 1989 sprints. I mean, until we get the register, I suppose, accurate, and we can then decide, break the bottles up. But you'd expect there to be more sprints around than saloons. Yeah, I mean, I guess in terms of in terms of volume made, there were probably still more more suds than sprints because yeah. it was always a fairly fairly niche car. The, but they were still making them. 
yeah. eight, nine years later, weren't they? So Well, they started making them 78, didn't they? 77, 78. And the Suds started in 73, 74, I suppose. And when, when did the uh, sprint That's finally the, ran out in 80? 89, yeah. ran out. And the Suds stopped in 83. Yeah, so, so there, should, there should be some of the ones that are six years yeah. younger that should have survived, I guess. Yeah, but you do wonder whether, well, I don't think that body protection was any better on the late sprints than it was on anything else. Really, so it certainly wasn't on mine, as you know, which was a, <laughs> an 88 car. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, so there is there is some interest now. Um, yeah. We've talked a little bit about prices. If somebody asked you for some advice on on what to look for and what to buy because they were they wanted to revisit their youth and buy an alpha sud what would you recommend well i would recommend having a good look whatever you saw not rushing into the first one which i suppose is normal advice for any car take someone with you who knows what they're looking for if you don't know yourself and you have to be careful with suds because you can't say they just had rusty wheel arches they had a lot of rusty areas and a lot of them hidden so yeah you do need to know what you what you're looking at but i'd also say current climate don't pay too much it'd be very easy to get overexcited and and pay the price they're asking but uh, and you you mentioned the the rust protection getting better or not as they got older i don't, I don't think it is because i suppose along the lines of if an early one survived this long it must have been pretty well looked after because you do see some very bad mark three saloons you know there's going to be more of them than, than mark ones but perhaps they weren't quite so wrong in the first place with them because a few have survived. I'd always encourage anyone who went to look at one to, you know, that it was a good car to have, a good classic car to own because they're very rewarding to drive and, and, and own and maybe underestimated by, by others. And are there, are there any little pockets waiting to be discovered? Is there a, a cache of right-hand drive cars in South Africa or some... Well... My experience with 105 series cars in South Africa, I would state people don't buy anything from South Africa, unless it's red wine, possibly. But <laughs> uh, we, we see some terrible 105s that apparently are going to be rust-free and certainly aren't. And uh, we have one customer with a South African suit, and that, that does seem pretty sound, but I'd always be slightly wary of buying a South African car because the climate's so good, they won't have any rust in them. That's not a good enough reason. But they, they were exported with the rust already in them, weren't they? Well, exactly. So, well, they're put together out there, warm climate. I mean, the South African ones are quite interesting because they put things like Julieta seats in them because they never always got the right seats for them. So they, they did make them up as it went along a little bit. But um, and I, I recently heard they, they did a, an Alpha Sud GTA in South Africa. Well, I've not heard that one, Guy, but. Oh, I, I, I don't, there we go. You've got one on me. I'll, I'll send you some details. Yeah, apparently. I mean, it's just a, it was just a badge they put on. I was going to say, they did like a bit of badge engineering out there. Yeah, I, I think it was, I've got a feeling it was just a TI with another badge, but uh, and maybe a, a different set of wheels. But um, well, I, I had a, I had a four door TI South African car. Um, and it was, it was, I must admit, it was quite, it's quite different having a four door with the TI bits and bobs on it. And I quite liked it, but I've got to say that was quite rusty. <laughs> and you do just think, oh, it's supposed to come from a warm climate, but that had no a, no a frame, no inner wings. It was it was pretty rotten. And there's quite a lot of of other Alpha models where, particularly spiders, but not exclusively spiders, where where people are quite happy to to bring in a left hand drive one because they're in good nick and and that's all there is around. 
you don't see an awful lot of left-hand drive alpha suds here. No, you don't. Um, I had one. <laughs> but I only, I mean, out of 57, I only had one one left-hand drive one uh, from Germany. But, I mean, you see, obviously, on the on the, hot, the Dutch Facebook pages, you see plenty of them. But no, I think you're right. It's it's maybe maybe it hasn't quite reached the Spider Bertone classic icon, and people are happy to 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 put up their left hand drive. Yeah, because you see quite a few for sale at the left hand drive from abroad, which you could come out and buy and bring back to Britain if you wished. But yeah, I think you're probably right. I think there is a there is a lack of left hand drive suits. And and I guess yeah, given the way people drive that kind of classic car now the fact that it's left-hand drive isn't that big a deal because you're only going to take it out for you know 40 or 50 yeah. miles and then lock it up again for for another few weeks so no i don't i don't think it would uh well, certainly wouldn't bother me um i don't think it would be a, a problem i'm just trying to think back to when i had my left-hand drive so it, it I just used to get in and drive it like i did any other sir really it's not uh used to frighten the passenger a little bit, overtaking, maybe. <laughs> About it. <laughs> Obviously, the October issue of Alfa Romeo Driver, which came out a week or so ago, uh, was a tribute to, to John Dooley, who passed away, sadly, a, a couple of weeks ago. And John was a huge part of the Alfa Sud scene in particular, wasn't he, with, with his racing exploits in the British Saloon Car Championship? Well, I've got to say, John was, John was my very early inspiration for Suds, really, because well, after I started at Thompson and Taylor's, the foreman whose apprentice I was, was into his racing and was always telling me when the dealer team was racing. And a friend of my, a friend of mine, Nick, he and I used to go down to Brands and watch them. And we've watched John freewheeling around Druids in the Sud. And we were actually at Silverstone in 1981 when he nearly won the championship, but won his class. Uh, and to be honest, we went to the, the Grand Prix. We didn't really. We went, we went to see the Sirds and John. So, yeah, and I met John a couple of times later on when he was racing the GTV6s. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a sad loss. There's a fantastic legacy in the, not just the the Chris Whelan Alpha Sud, but there's a, there's a few ex-John Dooley cars out there still pounding yeah. around the circuits. Yeah, and I, I know there's people doing up the GTV6s. I've been speaking with Chris Whedon. He's been trying to sort out suspension on the dealer team car. Uh, I went down and met him at Castle Coombe a couple of weeks ago. Um, so, yeah, I'm very proud to be involved in trying to help Chris sort that car out that I've seen so many times in the past. Well, that's all for this episode. We'll be back in two weeks' time on Sunday the 8th of November at 1.30 for one of our regular panel discussions where I'll be joined by club chairman John Griffiths, club manager Nick Wright and Mito registrar David Faithful. As usual, you'll be able to download episode 18 from iTunes, Podbean, YouTube and all of the other places you find good podcasts. And now we're available from Audible as well. So until then, stay safe. <laughs>